Section 7 of The House Behind the Cedars This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White The House Behind the Cedars by Charles W. Chestnut Section 7 Mid-New Surroundings Warwick's residence was situated in the outskirts of the town. It was a fine old plantation house, built in colonial times, with a stately colonnade, wide verandas, and long windows with Venetian blinds. It was painted white, and stood back several rods from the street, in a charming setting of palmettos, magnolias, and flowering shrubs. Rena had always thought her mother's house large, but now it seemed cramped and narrow in comparison with this roomy mansion. The furniture was old-fashioned and massive. The great brass andirons on the wide hearth stood like sentinels, proclaiming and guarding the dignity of the family. The spreading antlers on the wall testified to a mighty hunter in some past generation. The portraits of Warwick's wife's ancestors, high-featured, proud men and women, dressed in the fashions of a bygone age, looked down from tarnished gilt frames. It was all very novel to her, and very impressive. When she ate off china with silver knives and forks that had come down as heirlooms, escaping somehow the ravages and exigencies of the wartime, Warwick told her afterwards how he had buried them out of reach of friend or foe. She thought that her brother must be wealthy, and she felt very proud of him, and of her opportunity. The servants, of whom there were several in the house, treated her with a deference to which her eight months in school had only partly accustomed her. At school she had been one of many to be served, and had herself been held to obedience. Here, for the first time in her life, she was mistress, and tasted the sweets of power. The household consisted of her brother and herself, a cook, a coachman, a nurse, and her brother's little son, Albert. The child, with a fine instinct, had put out his puny arms to Rena at first sight, and she had clasped the little man to her bosom with a motherly caress. She had always loved weak creatures, Kittens and puppies had ever found a welcome and a meal at Rena's hands, only to be chased away by Miss Molly, who had a wider experience. No shiftless poor white, no half-witted or hungry negro had ever gone unfed from Miss Molly's kitchen door if Rena were there to hear his plaint. Little Albert was pale and sickly when she came, but soon bloomed again in the sunshine of her care, and was happy only in her presence. Warwick found pleasure in their growing love for each other, and was glad to perceive that the child formed a living link to connect her with his home. "'That child certainly do love Miss Rena, and that's a fact, shows you born,' remarked Lisa, the cook, to Mimi, the nurse, one day. "'You'll get your nose put out of joint if you don't mind.' "'I ain't frettin', honey,' laughed the nurse good-naturedly. She was not at all jealous. She had the same wages as before, and her labors were materially lightened by the aunt's attention to the child. This gave Mimi much more time to flirt with Tom, the coachman. It was a source of much gratification to Warwick 
that his sister seemed to adapt herself so easily to the new conditions. Her graceful movements, the quiet elegance with which she wore even the simplest gown, the easy authoritativeness with which she directed the servants, were to him proofs of superior quality, and he felt correspondingly proud of her. His feeling for her was something more than brotherly love. He was quite conscious that there were degrees in brotherly love, and that if she had been homely or stupid, he would never have disturbed her in the stagnant life of the house behind the cedars. There had come to him from some source down the stream of time a rill of the Greek sense of proportion, of fitness, of beauty, which is indeed but proportion embodied, the perfect adaptation of means to ends. He had perceived more clearly than she could have appreciated it at that time the undeveloped elements of discord between Rena and her former life. He had imagined her lending grace and charm to his own household. Still another motive, a purely psychological one, had more or less consciously influenced him. He had no fear that the family secret would ever be discovered. He had taken his precautions too thoroughly, he thought, for that. And yet he could not but feel, at times, that if peradventure, it was a conceivable hypothesis, it should become known, his fine social position would collapse like a house of cards. Because of this knowledge which the world around him did not possess, he had felt now and then a certain sense of loneliness, and there was a measure of relief in having about him one who knew his past, and yet whose knowledge, because of their common interest, would not interfere with his present or jeopardize his future. For he had always been, in a figurative sense, a naturalized foreigner in the world of wide opportunity, and Rena was one of his old compatriots, whom he was glad to welcome into the populous loneliness of his adopted country. End of section 7 Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista.